Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We are going to turn to Leviticus chapter 8. I got to tell you, this whole section of Scripture is new territory for me, and I I would bet not many of you have heard a lot of sermons out of Leviticus, uh, nor have I. And and yet, uh, well, actually the chapter I'm picking today um, is just another telling of the same thing as Exodus 29. In Exodus 29, the Lord tells Moses how he wants him to ordain the priests. And in, and in Levit- Leviticus 8, Moses relates how he ordained the priests. And it's just a little clearer in the Leviticus passage and, so I'm, and a little more uh, succinct. So I'm just choosing that one uh, to, to preach from. But we're going through territory that, that is, uh, we're going way back into Moses and we talked about the garments of the high priest. I mean, when's the last sermon you heard on garments of the high priest? When's the last sermon I preached on it? Uh, and I, I'm having to learn this. I, learned, I know the stuff about 24 hours ahead of you. And I'm, I'm in, having to do a lot of work and trying to clarify in my own mind these areas, which are... Thousands of years uh, separated from us. They are not easy to understand. And yet, when you bring out the meaning, I'm finding real life there. Today, we're going to take the second part, really, of God's preparing of a priest. We're talking about this because the Lord has called you and me to be priests. That not, that's not simply some sort of rhetoric. It's absolutely the truth. And so if we're going to be true priests of God, then we need to not only determine we will pay the price of priesthood, which is what we talked about, but we also need to have the power for priesthood, which is what we will talk about today. So we're going to go right into the ordination service in in um, Leviticus. We'll see how God ordained his priests, and then we'll step into the New Testament And see how the Lord now ordains us and what he calls us to. The point of all this is that you and I are called to step up to another level of spirituality. And I don't mean a self-effort. That God literally wants to transform us in the very cells of our being almost. As you see what we're going to see in this ordination in Leviticus. You're going to see him saturate these priests. virtually immerse them in the Shekinah glory of God for a seven-day cycle, seven cycle in which he transforms them so they can bear the presence of God and not be killed by it. And of course, in the New Testament, we have the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And we too have this ordination, of this saturation of the power of God that's to come into our life and lift us to another level, a level in which we are peace functioning in a spiritual realm. Christianity is not simply a philosophical commitment to biblical truth. Christianity is meant to ultimately be an an intimate, personal, real walk with God in which he speaks to us, 
He empowers us. His gifts and graces work through us. And not only does he work through us in church or in a religious setting, but I believe primarily his intention is to work through us in such a fashion in our day-to-day lives. So what we're talking about is enormously practical. When you learn to hear the Lord and obey him, when you learn to walk in the gifts of the Spirit, it will affect your job. It'll affect your marriage. It'll affect the way you raise your children. It'll affect the decision-making that goes on in your life. It'll affect everything. It will actually is part of the promotional process that God wants to do. Father, we ask for your word to open up to us. We would have in our lives the power for priesthood. We would be men and women of the Spirit. And we ask you, Lord, to just give us deeper understanding and invite us to walk deeper with you. I pray for the grace to speak your word so that we hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. God never asks us to do anything he will not empower us to accomplish. Would you say that with me out loud? God never asks us to do anything he will not empower us to accomplish. Very important truth. Christians are not simply people who are trying in their own strength to do good things. It isn't just just a matter of what would Jesus do. I mean, that's a good question to ask. But we don't simply lead our lives by deciding what would Jesus do and then in our own strength trying to do that. That is not the Christian life. At least that's not what God intended. His plan has always been to work miracles through people of faith. In other words, he's the one who does the real spiritual work. Our part is simply to obey. Not only did he give such power to the high priest of Israel, but now he intends to give it to the men and women who he's called as priests of a new covenant. In fact, one of the most important gifts a Christian receives is the promise of the Father. Jesus repeatedly told his disciples to expect this blessing. And he said that when it came, they would be transformed into people through whom God could minister miraculously. Just like Aaron, the high priest, those who followed Christ would be anointed with the Holy Spirit for priestly ministry. Yet because some have not been taught this truth, they try to serve God without the supernatural support God has planned for them. Today, we'll start by looking at the ordination ceremony God designed for Israel's high priest, and then we'll turn to the New Testament to hear his promise of a new form of ordination for those who believe in his son. Leviticus chapter 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments of the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread and assemble all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. When the congregation was assembled at the doorway of the tent of meeting, Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded to do. Now, you've got two million people. I don't know how many of them are there, but you've got a crowd. Then Moses had Aaron and his sons come near and wash them with water. Uh, I'm sure that's discreet. Two million people are watching. But he he put the tunic on him 
and girded him with the sash and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him and girded him with the artistic band of the ephod, which he tied to him. Do you remember us discussing the garments of the priest? The tunic is that white first garment that goes all the way to his feet. It's under everything. We said it represented spiritual authority. And so he is put upon them. He, Moses will relate it now in order as it goes on. And so he puts this tunic on and it has its own sash. I'm sure it's just the same white material and it, it ties to them. So he puts on their spiritual authority. Then he puts the robe on and that was the blue robe that is, that is uh, seamless and has, is not to be torn. And we, it has the bells and the pomegranates. Remember the little puffs at the bottom. And that, we said, spoke of the integrity of the priest. He was to be a person who would walk in integrity, not in manipulation, not in deception, but he would walk honestly before the people and before God. Then he, put on, then he puts on the, uh, the ephod. That is that, that outer thing that represents a yoke or like an apron. And it's got two straps at the top that hold the two halves together. And on those straps were stones. Remember that? And there were six names of six tribes on one stone and the names of six tribes on the other. We said it's like a yoke which was set on the shoulder. It's, and it was a decision to give one's life for the service of others, which is a costly yoke. It is a selflessness, a decision to orient my life to care for others not for myself. So he put that yoke on him. And then he puts around him the, the it says, uh, it describes it here as um, the artistic, in other words, very beautifully woven band or sash. And that ties all of this to his body. Do anyone remember what that represented? The, the will or call of God, yes. It's the will of God. You choose this life of selflessness and of priestly service on God's behalf. It's very costly. You do it because it's the will of God. And he's spoken to you and you're responding to his call. That's what will keep us from quitting. And then he, he placed the breast piece. We saw that uh, folded cloth that had the 12 gemstones on the front. Those represented the 12 tribes. Uh, the priest was to love the people of God and see them as precious gems in God's sight. You recall that. Inside the pouch that forms that breast piece were placed two stones and they're called Urim and Thummim, and they were used to, to, to uh, find God's will in extreme situations of guidance. He then puts the head, on his head the turban, and on the front is a little plate that says what? Who remembers? Holy unto the Lord. Set apart for God's service, never to go back to my own. My life is no longer my own. It is now given completely to God in his service. So you're to think that way. Now watch what happens, verse 10. He then took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. That would be the laver with the water in it. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Let me stop there. So he's been the, the priest has been washed, re representing a repentance, uh, a right heart. He has been clothed, meaning he has chosen now 
to put on these attitudes of priestly service. And then he's been anointed. And I want to I show you a little bit of, of what that anointing looks like. Would you turn to Psalm 133? Because David captures the picture of this moment in his psalm. The oil represented the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it did to them. That's what they meant it to intend. That's, this is, they knew what they were doing. It was, in fact, a symbolic prayer inviting God's power to come upon the priest. And so as Moses anoints him, the prayer is, Come, Holy Spirit, in your power and remain on this, on this man. Now look how David describes it here. He says, uh, I'll start at verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. When we love each other, when we forgive each other, when we walk peacefully with each other, it brings these blessings. First of all, it is like the precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edges of his robes. So when he, gets, he, when he was anointed, David says, it was poured over him so that it came and drizzled down his beard. They poured it right over his turban. I mean, a mess of everything. Poured right down his turban, drizzled down his beard so much that it went clear to the hem of his robes. The man is soaked in oil. Now, we have anointing oil here. We have them in these boxes on either side. There's little, little bottles. And if you need anointing, we will take it out and we will anoint you. Hallelujah. This service may remember the phrase, a little dabble, do you? And uh, we're very sanitary, very clean, very tidy about this whole thing. Just a little bit of a thing on you there. Don't want to mess anything up. David says, when Aaron was anointed, they took a horn of oil and they poured it over him until it drizzled down him. I had someone, I won't go into the details of it, but pray for me and anoint me with oil uh, um, a couple months ago. And um, I expected this. <laughs> and he did this. And he slapped it on my forehead. <laughs> And then went around on my forehead. And then he did more. And he slapped it on the back of my head and did it there. And I am just soaked in, in this oil. And I was on my knees as I was being prayed for. And the power of God came on me. I, could, I, it, I had to sort of sit there and, and huff and puff till I could get up and, 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 uh, and, and think straight. I mean, this guy... I won't tell you who it is. He was praying for me like this, and there was a tremendous amount of power. And it's not just because of the quantity of oil. But what he did was not hold back. You know, we're too tidy. We are too tidy and too careful and too thoughtful. And there's a, there's a point where it just needs to get messy. And I, I want to show you why David knows how messy this is. You're thinking, oh, man, where's he going with this? Now, I'm, I'm still going to be tidy. I'm not going to pour it over you unless, unless you say, go ahead. All right, 1 Samuel. Turn to 1 Samuel. I want to show you how David knows what this looks like, because he does. There's a reason that he can picture 
what happened to Aaron so vividly. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Saul has been king and he has now made a couple of very serious violations of his obedience to God. And God has rejected him. And so he's going to appoint a new king. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, who is the priest, the, uh, the leading priest over Israel, I mean, pardon me, prophet over the nation, a great man. How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. Now, Samuel is troubled by this because he says, if I go on the road and the soldiers stop me and inquire, and apparently that was going on, Saul is patrolling the roads, uh, they'll ask me and I can't lie, and I'll, I'll probably be killed for treason. So I'm not looking forward to this trip. And so the Lord says, what I want you to do is I want you to offer a sacrifice in the city of Bethlehem, a, a heifer. I mean, those were offered if you um, touch something dead. It was kind of a process of keeping yourself clean. And he said, so I want you to, to make a, a, a hot offering of red heifer. I want you to do that in Bethlehem. You just tell them that's what you're going for because that is what you're going to do there. But it's not all you're going to do. And so verse 5, he invites the family of Jesse to this offering of a sacrifice that he makes. And he says he consecrated Jesse and his sons, invited them to the sacrifice. And then verse 6, it came about when they entered that he looked at Eliab. This will be the oldest son of Jesse. He's got to be tall. He's got to be handsome. He looks like a king. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature. Because I have rejected him, for God sees not as man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance, but God, the Lord, looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Next, Jesse made Shema, the name means here, Shema Israel, hero Israel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your, the children? And he said, well, there remains the squirt out there, the little kid, and you don't want him, do you? In the sheep, there remains yet the youngest. We didn't even bother to bring him in. Behold, he's tending the sheep. And then Samuel said to Jesse, now check this out, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until the king arrives. That's what that means. It's simple deduction. The youngest must be the choice. And so Samuel says, we will stand and wait for his majesty to arrive. So he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy, means red-haired and probably got freckles, with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. So here comes little David, you know. Hi, Dad. <laughs> and everybody's. <laughs> I mean, that was, gonna, that was one moment for him. Then the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. 
And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. See that? Samuel takes an entire horn and he pours it over this boy. It drizzles down his head. It pours off his body. He knows what happens. And he also knows spiritually what happens. You see, this is very real to him. As that happened, the anointing of God, the power of the Spirit, came over this boy. It shook him. You know it did. Who knows what happened as this power hit him like that and stayed on him from that day forward. So when he reflects in Psalm 133 and he says, how beautiful it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It brings the anointing. That's a very tender and a very personal observation for him. He knows what that means. Let's go back to Leviticus and look at verse 22. Now, well, I'm going to, no, I'm going to tell you, excuse me, I'm ahead of myself. I'm going to just tell you what happens in verse 14 through 21. Aaron has got to be spiritually cleansed before he can even come into the tabernacle and have the rest of the ordination ceremony. And so two sacrifices are offered. The bull is a sacrifice for what's called a sin offering. And it was the offering for any, any violation of ritual religious law. In other words, you may have touched something unclean or done something wrong like that. And so first of all, Aaron and his sons are cleansed of any possible uh, impurities of ritual law. The second is a ram. And the ram is a sacrifice. It's going to be their burnt offering. That is a general appeal for forgiveness for all their sins. Uh, putting their hands on the head of this thing. Transferring their guilt onto it. And having this die in their place. This, this sacrifice Abraham did. I mean, these are, this goes back to Seth. The family has known this for, for thousands of years at this point. So they're going to be a burnt offering. So they are being cleansed of their sin, covered with blood. Then there's a third offering, but it is not a sacrifice. It is a covenant ceremony. So the second ram is a covenant ceremony. Now we're getting ordained. Now the real process happens. The first is just getting it clean enough so they can come into the tabernacle and not be struck dead. The presence of God brings great blessing to those who have been atoned by blood. But to those who have not, the presence of God brings trouble and even death. In fact, two of these sons that are going to have this done to them now will be struck dead in the future by violating things and having the, the glory of God strike them dead on the spot. Verse 22 describes the ordination. This is a covenant ceremony, and these guys, particularly Aaron, are being ordained now. Let's see what happens. Then he presented the second ram, the ram of ordination. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. So there is even there a confession of sin. Moses slaughtered it and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. And he also had Aaron's sons come and he, Moses put some of the blood on the lobe of their right ear the thumb of their right hand and the big toe of their right foot. And then Moses sprinkled the rest of the blood around on the altar. So here we go. Part of the blood's on them. Part of the blood's on God. 
just as it was in the original. This is a covenant between these people. They are entering into covenant with the living God. And God has said to them, blood on the ear, you will listen to my voice. These ears will be mine. And you'll, when I speak, you'll hear. And your hands will be mine. And what I give you to do, you will do. And your feet will follow my will and you will go where I lead you to go. And by taking this, these priests are saying, yes, sir, we commit to hear, to do, and to go as you guide us. And then the Lord entered into covenant with them as they sprinkled it on the altar. There is then a covenant meal. They simply all eat together. That's what the eating is going on. They eat some of that unleavened bread that was brought and, made, and set apart for God. Um, it is actually a, a, what's a covenant meal. And I'm not going to go into it. Sometime maybe. Verse 33. You shall not go outside the doorway. Now, now they've had this meal. And here's what happens. You shall not go outside the doorway of the tent of meeting for seven days. Until the day that the period of your ordination is fulfilled. For he will ordain you through seven days. The Lord has commanded to do this, uh, do as had been done on this day, to make atonement on your behalf. At the doorway of the tent of meeting, moreover, you shall remain day and night for seven days. And keep the charge of the Lord that you may not die. For so I, I have been commanded. These priests now have been ordained, they have been entered into covenant, they have been cleansed of their sin, and they are now going to move into the holy place inside the tabernacle, and they are going to remain there for seven days. I believe they are also going to go through these same sacrifices each day. There will be the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the covenant. There will be the splashing of oil and blood on them. That process will go each day. What's this about? They are being placed right into the Shekinah presence of God. His power is so strong in the Holy of Holies that it can be seen like a mist. Priests can't even enter there. As this, as this start, the, priests, the, the power will be so strong that you can't stand, you enter there and you knock to the floor. It's that kind of presence. Now, without this transformation of these, these men, without the covering of the blood, without this, without this, um, inviting of the Holy Spirit to have his work in them, they, are, they, they will die. That's what Moses says, that you may not die. They cannot minister to the Lord. They can't go in and change the oil. They can't put the bread on the, show, on the table of showbread. They can't, they can't offer incense on the incense altar right in front of the Holy of Holies. They, they, it's going to kill them. So they are put into this environment and saturated, immersed. Literally, the, I imagine the cells of their body are somehow made accustomed to the powerful Shekinah presence of God so that they can minister and not die. And it goes on for a full creative cycle, seven days. It took him that long to make the earth. It takes him that long to transform them from normal men into holy men who can be in his presence. God was conditioning them so that they would be suited now for a new spiritual environment. Now let's have a look at what he does in the New Testament with us. 
Jesus calls all who follow him to repent. We are washed, just as they are. To clothe ourselves with the attitude of the priest, we are invited to pick up our cross and follow him. Uh, real Christianity is, is not simply, is not even sort of really about God simply being your co-pilot and your partner in business uh, so that you can somehow succeed and prosper. Does that happen? It does when your heart is right. Yes, it does. But your heart, your side of the equation is always to give yourself wholly and without reserve to God for his glory and for his service. What he does in promoting and blessing you is his part of the equation, and he, he, he happily does that, but he watches our heart. So we give our heart to him. He atones for us, just as the priests had the blood applied to them so they could enter in, you and I have blood applied to us. But we do it by faith in Jesus Christ's once-for-all sacrifice on the cross. You and I are covered with blood. Hallelujah. That's why we can march right in to the throne room of God. You know, if you were there at that point in time, you could have walked into the Holy of Holies and it wouldn't have killed you. That's what Christ has done for you. You could walk into the Holy of Holies and the Father would be glad to see you. Isn't that amazing? We will literally do that in heaven. I mean, where the cherubim and the seraphim have marveled and, and hid their faces from this holy God, we'll come up and call him Abba, our Father. I don't think we will be disrespectful, but there's a love and a tenderness and a true familial relationship that we have now with him through Christ that's, that's simply unbelievable, but it's true. He transforms us by putting his Holy Spirit within us in the new birth. And then he immerses us or baptizes us with the presence of the Holy Spirit until we too, listen now, we too are transformed to function in the environment of the Spirit. The Christian life is not a philosophical commitment to biblical truth that simply gets us into heaven. The Christian life is meant to be a Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered, process in which you are literally raised to another level you now can hear you now can move you now respond to the spirit you are those whole apparatus of of hearing god your spiritual person is awakened and joined to the presence of god and you are to be empowered this is not simply for a few nutty extreme folks who who like that kind of thing this is the problem is many of us refuse the priestly anointing. We don't want to be messed with it. Just, I just want to, I just want to go to heaven. Just, can I solve the heaven thing and, and then just leave me alone? Well, I'm going to tell you something. The world needs you. The world needs you to step into your priestly anointing. God will speak to you and guide you. There will be solutions and healings and blessings that come into the very workplace, into your family, into everything you touch. This process translates into everything. It changes you, not simply you on Sunday. Let me show you some of the promises. Luke chapter 24. I just want to show you a, a theme that the Lord is so clear about. He's resurrected here. He is um, giving 
his final instructions, uh, some of his final instructions to his disciples, and he, he opens the law of Moses and tells them about himself there. He, I bet he says these things. I'm the high priest. I'm the, it was my blood on that. All the stuff we're going through, I bet he was talk, telling them right then those kinds of things. And he says he opened the scriptures and, and, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You too will have the horn of anointing oil poured over you. You will be saturated and lifted to a new level. And I don't want you ministering until you minister in your priestly, priestly power. Now, if I had the time, I would take you to, a, a, and I give you the verse, you can check it later, Ezekiel 36. I just was going to show you one of these statements of the promise of the Father, which he's referring to. It's made in the Old Testament. But Acts chapter 1, let's go there now. Here he is about to, be, to ascend into heaven. Verse 4, he says, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father had promised. We saw those exact words in Luke. Which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized, immersed in, just like the priests drawn into the holy place, you are going to get saturated with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Then turn over to chapter 2. Here's where it happens. And I want you to know something, that on the day of Pentecost, everything changed. This is a turning point in, in spiritual history. The cross, of course, is the center of history. The re and the resurrection. But this is part of it. For this is the, the, the distinguishing feature between the New Testament and the Old Testament is that now the Spirit of God is given without measure. The Holy Spirit is given to all his people without reserve. In the Old Testament, you'd have a priest here, you'd have a, you'd have a prophet here, you'd have a king here. And even those didn't have it last long for the most part. But now it would be different. Through Christ, his followers would rise up and all of them were to be anointed. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Just as the, that column of fire and glory was over the tabernacle, now it's over the living human tabernacle over each head. So that's the new residence of the Holy Spirit. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And then uh, Luke describes the many different nations that were there and the miracle that took place and the huge crowd that gathers. And then verse 14, Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Jerusalem, pardon me, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men aren't drunk, 
It's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. He says, this is the promise. This has been prophesied and it has started now. The last days have arrived. History is turning right now and God has given a new, new gift of the Spirit and that's what you're seeing. Now look how he describes that gift. He says, it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind. Now hang on to your hat. And your sons and your what? Daughters shall prophesy. How dare people forbid women to prophesy? Your young men shall see visions. I don't know about that, but I know that old men shall dream dreams. <laughs> and even on, and what's the word that Luke uses, or pardon me, Joel uses here? Mine is bond slaves. Does that put it in perspective? Servants, bond servants, have you got the, something like that? Yeah. I haven't looked it up. I bet it's doulos, in, in, meaning slave. Both men and women. I will pour, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall do what? Young and old, male and female, I will pour forth of my spirit. They will be anointed as priests and the gifts of the spirit, the supernatural gifts, one of the highest of which is prophecy, will come through them. He says, this is what I am, Peter says, this is what you're observing happening. It's starting now. And then you say, well, that was just for them. I mean, they were a special group. Go over and Peter isn't finished. Uh, look at verse 38. Peter's, they, they ask him, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's he say? For the promise. The promise of what? The Father. This promise that we've just been seen fulfilled this gift that you've just seen at work in us is for you and your children and for all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call to himself he got it he got it he understood perfectly that every man every woman young and old every believer in Christ now had been covered with the blood and was now to be entered into the holy place, saturated in the power of God, lifted to another level, and function in the power of the Spirit as a priest of God. That is God's intention. Now, how are we doing? There are many people, because they don't sort of like this, or they feel uncomfortable, or they feel awkward in it, don't want it for themselves. I didn't notice that God really made it an option. Sort of like, hey, for any, this is for you and afar off and as many as those eccentric folk who like it. <laughs> he didn't say that. You say, well, I don't want to be like somebody. Well, they probably don't want to be like you either. And, and, but, but the truth be known, you don't have to be like anyone. But you do have to walk as who you are in all of God you're able to walk in. It's really not your option. 
It is an ungodly thing to do to limit yourself and say, I do not want to move into the spiritual realm. What if I make mistakes? I don't I'm uncomfortable with this. I don't like this. Well, it is uncomfortable in a certain sense. There's a, there's a whole new world, but I don't think it's an option. And I think that we hurt the work of God and we hinder him badly by refusing to move in the spirit. Let me give you an example, uh, just a, an illustration. A couple of years ago, at one of our men's retreats, uh, a brother said, Pastor, I need you to pray with me, if you would. And uh, we, we, we stepped into one of the, the, the rooms off of the main hall there. And, and he said, he says, I've got a problem. He said, I'm supposed to be the, the leader of my family. And my wife is a loving, you know, respectful woman and, and all that. That's, I said, I don't have any issues there. But he said, my wife can hear from God. She hears God. But I can't. And he says, it makes it real hard to lead. So when it comes right down to it, I got to defer to her and say, what do you think? Because I can't hear from God. And I said, now this is a godly man. It's a good man. And I said, are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? And he said, I think so. Now, if you don't know, you aren't. You know, you'd know. It's one of those things. And then I said, do you, do you pray in, in the Spirit? Do you speak in tongues? He said, no. I said, are you willing to? <laughs> he said, anything. I said, all right then. <sighs> I laid hands on him. I didn't give him much choice. I mean, I've known him for a long time. He's a good man. And I laid hands on him. He said, come on. This has got it. We're going to stop it right here. I said, this is what turns the radio on. And it isn't just the tongues part, but it's the stepping into the spirit part. See, some of people say it's the least of the gifts. Well, fine, that's where you ought to start. But it's also the scariest and the most unnatural in a certain sense. And so there's something of real, oh boy, when you step out and let the Lord pray through you. It takes faith, doesn't it? And yet so does all of the work of the spirit. If you wait for God to, if you're thinking I'm going to have it burned on the living room wall every time and I'm going to, I'm going to have audible voices and stuff, no, you'd be a, a fruitcake if that's what happened. The things of the Spirit are naturally supernatural. And there is always an element of stepping out, trusting God, I believe this is you. You then usually find out afterwards, indeed it was, remarkably so. But there's this risky faith step in it. And so as I prayed with him, and he stepped out, and yes, indeed, he, he, he came forth with a, with a beautiful language in prayer. And, and not too long after that, he came to me, and he just said, Pastor, he said, the radio's on. <laughs> and it just was like that. Now, see, you, some of you feel, well, I'm just not apparently a spiritual type. Um, some people are, and they can hear from God, and I'm just sort of, I'm just sort of a, a run-of-the-mill guy, and I can't hear that from God. Nonsense. Nonsense. You just haven't learned yet. You haven't taken your step yet. You haven't maybe received what God wants for you yet, but yes, you can. You are created in his image. And therefore, you most certainly can move in the spirit. But one of the things is, this is the horn of oil. It's not a little oil. It's a horn of oil, and he pours it over you. 
and he transforms you. And he, it, it comes differently to each person, but in, in, in the, what happens in this experience is God moves from being a, a, a concept I believe in to a person in the room. He becomes personal and close to me, and my spiritual sensitivity is awakened. When I began to walk with the Lord, he'd speak to me. I didn't ask him to speak to me. I didn't seek for his voice. I didn't even want it. And he would say stuff, and it would just interrupt me. I didn't hear voices, but I knew I'd been spoken to. I knew I'd been spoken to. And then when I obeyed him, stuff happened. Miracles took place. I'm just a goofy young guy. God says something. Finally, after a couple of times, I do it. And when I do it, there's a miracle. And I'm amazed. And God gets the glory. You can do this. You most certainly can do this. You start listening to the Lord, he'll tell you how to fix your car. He'll tell you what needs to be done with that situation with your child. He'll tell you how to resolve a conflict in your marriage. You will, and, and not by simply figuring it out, you'll suddenly know that you know. That word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discernment of spirit, the prophetic word, healing, prophecy. Those things will flow naturally and intuitively. A whole realm of your life opens up and you suddenly are functioning at another level, which is a normal level for a Christian. You are now a priest of the living God, anointed by his spirit, the promise of the fathers at work in you. You've been lifted to a new level and God through you brings his salvation and his healing and his word and his kindness to people all around you easily and naturally and life is changed. What do you have to do? Well, first of all, we have to desire priestly ministry. Nobody can make you hunger and thirst for this except God himself. We have to choose to put on the garments as a price to be paid if we're going to serve the Lord. He somehow, he doesn't just give his sweet anointing and his answers to prayer to people who don't have his heart. He gives it to his disciples. The promises you read in here are for disciples. They're not general promises for all the public. They are for those who give themselves to him. He gives himself to them. There is a two-way street here. Thirdly, we must prepare our mind and heart. There's often questions to be answered and things to be thought through and scriptures to be looked up so that you feel comfortable and settled in what you're doing. We have some brochures, two of which are pertinent. One is called How to Receive the Baptism with the Holy Spirit. They're free. Just, just pick one up and read. I brought up the, the, the thorny question of speaking in tongues today. Here's a, a little brochure. Speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit. Just read and think about it. Look up the scriptures that I supply there. See what you think. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.